Um, Our scripture reading today is from Acts chapter 8, and it's verses 26 to 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place, and he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Fiona. I'll say it again. He is risen. Uh, We worship uh, a savior, a person who was once dead and now lives forever. Um, A resurrected savior is at the very heart of why so many of us are gathered here today, why so many of us gather here uh, every Sunday. As sinners separated from God, we need not just the death of Jesus, we need the resurrection of Jesus. And last week was so important. Holy Week, Good Friday, uh, it was crucial for our salvation, it's crucial for our hope, right? We needed Jesus to do what we could not do. We needed him to walk through the shadows and descend into death on our behalf. But we don't worship a savior who merely died for our sins. We worship a savior who defeated death and who didn't stay dead. We worship a person who is alive. We worship a resurrected savior. We need the empty tomb of Jesus as much as we need his cross. The death of a dead Christ, of a Christ who remains dead, achieves nothing for our salvation. The Apostle Paul makes that clear in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile 
then you are still in your sins. He says, goes on and he says, our situation is most pitied if that's the case. You see, certainly without the death of Christ on the cross, there's no salvation. But there's neither salvation without his resurrection. His resurrection, no less than his death, is at the very heart of the gospel. One of the best Bible verses that communicates this to us is Romans 4, 24, where Paul says, um, he's talking about justification by faith. Um, justification, it means you've, you've been set free, you've been justified. It's this picture of a, of a prisoner who's been set free. You've been made, I learned as a, as, a, as a child, you've been made just as if I've never sinned. And Paul says that that righteousness, that justification is, is ours. He says, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord. And he says, this is who he is. He says, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And that, that last part, it, it, it captures our need of both the cross and the empty tomb. Jesus was delivered up he says, that that means to be, to be handed over, to be, deli- to be delivered to prison. It's referring to the cross. Why did he endure the cross? Paul says, for our trespasses. Simply put, our sins were the reason for his death. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. But Paul doesn't stop there when describing this person we put our faith in. It says, he who is delivered up for our trespasses and who was raised for our justification. He didn't simply die for your sins. He rose from the grave victoriously, defeating death itself. We don't worship a Savior who just died for our sins. That's not enough. We worship the one who defeated death and didn't stay dead. He, he was delivered up for our sins and he was raised for our justification. Good Friday, it showed us the costliness of God's grace, of him dying on your behalf, paying the penalty for your sin, absorbing the wrath of God on your behalf. But friends, the resurrection, Easter Sunday, is proof that the wrath of God was satisfied. The resurrection is proof, it's, it's evidence that the wrath of God was satisfied. Jonathan Edwards puts it in the opposite. He says, for if Christ were not risen, it would be evidence that God was not yet satisfied with our sins. He says, now the resurrection is God declaring his satisfaction. He thereby declared that it was enough. Christ thereby was released from his work. Christ, as the mediator, is thereby justified. You see, we worship a crucified Savior, but we also worship a resurrected Savior, a justified Savior. And the Bible says when we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, His justification becomes our justification. How is that possible? By grace through faith. It's, it's, it's not possible by anything that you do, by any of your works, but by simply trusting in Jesus' work. By grace through faith, Christ's death is counted as our death, but also is his resurrection, which is evidence that God is satisfied with his sacrifice. That's the gospel. That's that's the sole reason this room is filled with so many Jesus worshipers this morning. The empty tomb is so important. 
Christ has died in your place, but he also rose from the grave for you. I mentioned at our Ash Wednesday that the J curve, it's on the screen, that this is the, the shape of Jesus' life. He, he descends into death before rising in victory in life, right? And, and as the perfect, righteous son of God, his life didn't, didn't need to take that path, but he chose to take that path. He, he chose to walk it on our behalf out of God's great love for us. And when we place our trust in Jesus and believe the gospel, his death becomes our death. We follow in his way, but also his resurrection is our eternal hope. His resurrection is our certain future. His resurrection was proof that God was satisfied with the payment that he made on the cross. And friends, by placing your faith in Jesus, you can rest in the peace of his justification. God now looks at you when you put your faith in Jesus as righteous, as justified, as, as welcome freely into the household of God. Isn't that amazing? This is the glory of being in Christ. When we are accepted in Christ, our whole acceptance rests on his acceptance. Our whole vindication and final judgment rests on his vindication. Our whole hope is Christ who is delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the message of the resurrection of Jesus. When the Lord Jesus came out of the tomb, he brought with him our justification. Isn't that so good? Hallelujah. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Day, our day of hope. He is risen. We're going to look at Acts chapter 8, but let me pray one more time. And Jesus, we stand here and we sit here as righteous, as not guilty, as welcome into your presence. And for one reason alone, it's because of what you've done for us, Jesus. We thank you for Friday. We thank you for the costliness of that grace, Lord. Your blood being poured out on our behalf. But we thank you for, for Sunday. We thank you that, that you didn't stay dead, that you rose as proof that it was finished. Lord, may we rest in your finished work this morning. May we see the risen Christ more clearly. Holy Spirit, would you teach us? In your name we pray. Amen. Um, so you might be asking, <laughs> if all of that is true, like if the risen Christ, uh, the crucified and the risen Christ is at the center of the gospel, and if today is Resurrection Sunday, you might be thinking, why are we in Acts chapter 8? Why aren't we at the end of the gospels? Why aren't we looking at the resurrected Christ? We are. And the passage that we're looking at this morning, although it's set a few years after his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, um, it's all about the risen Jesus. Um, the, he is who the story is about. He is who the story is pointing to. He is who the, the story traces. And he is actually present all throughout this amazing story. Um, I'm going to try to be a little bit shorter today because we have some business to get to. Um, so it won't be a full exposition of the test, text. I want you to see one thing and one thing alone the risen Christ. Um, so we'll be asking that question throughout. Where's Jesus? Um, most of you will have, uh, if you have your Bibles open uh, to Acts chapter 8, uh, most of your Bibles will have a little title to this passage um, called Philip and the Ethiopian Eunuch. 
Um, that's the kind of classic title. And I'm, I'm going to be bold and suggest a couple other titles that might actually capture what's going on here. Uh, the quickest edit would simply to be replace uh, Philip's name with Jesus' name. This is Jesus and the Ethiopian eunuch. Or we could call it the Ethiopian encounters the, resurrection, the resurrected Jesus. Because that's exactly what happens here. Philip has, a, has an important role in the story, but he's really a sub-character. He's a secondary character. Um, he's a vessel, right? He is what Paul calls just an ambassador of Christ. His role is not to inter interject himself into the story, but to represent and introduce the risen Christ to this Ethiopian man. The story doesn't even end with Philip and this Ethiopian having this newfound relationship, but rather Jesus and the Ethiopian having a life-altering encounter. And my, my favorite of my, my newfangled story titles is probably The Risen Jesus Pursues the Ethiopian. The Risen Jesus, he goes after this man because that's what the story is all about. Philip is simply doing what he's told. He's simply following orders. He, he's obediently going where he is told. He, he's obediently doing what he's told to do. And the result is incredible. Um, the story is about the crucified and the risen Jesus powerfully at work in the, in, in the world. And so, as I said, my, the singular goal is to see the risen Christ. Um, so the question we'll, we'll just kind of keep asking as we go make our way through is, where's Jesus? Where, where's Jesus? And, and in order to answer that question fully in Acts chapter 8, I want to give you three other key texts, and because we don't read certain parts of the Bible in isolation from the rest of it. We need the whole of it to understand the whole of it. So here's three key interpretive texts that will help us see Jesus in Acts chapter 8. The first one is in John 14, and this is probably my favorite section of the Bible. And the setting is Jesus has gathered his disciples into a room uh, for one last Passover meal before he makes his way to the cross. And he's, he's telling them some incredibly important things, some things they need to know before he is killed um, and before he ascends to heaven. Um, and one of the things that he tells them is actually, I think, the most comforting thing that you can ever hear from Jesus at this moment. And he says it in verse 15. He says, he says to his guys, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. That's the hope of the J-curve, right? In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And then he says, if this is all a little bit confusing, he gets a little bit more explicit in verse 25, and he says, for these things I've spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. So around this table, Jesus makes this incredible promise of sending the Holy Spirit, and the helper, 
that Jesus calls him. He's telling them that, that he's about to leave him. He's about to go to the Father, but they don't need to be afraid, right? In fact, this is a better situation, he says, because I'm going to go and I'm going to send the Spirit to live in you. In these disciples, Jesus will always be with them. Notice he says, I will come to you. He's making the promise of the present, of his presence uh, with his followers forever. That's the first passage that helps us see Jesus in Acts chapter 8. The second one is Matthew 28. And here's another scene that Jesus gathers his disciples. This is after his crucifixion and his resurrection and just before he ascends to the Father. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's incredible. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that's a great commission. Um, this is the, the charge that Jesus gave to his disciples in the world, um, even for us here today. Uh, this is what we're called to do until Jesus comes again. Go Tell people about me. Make disciples, baptize them, teach them. We are to share the gospel, uh, share the good news of Christ crucified for our sins and risen victoriously for our justification. Share this with people who don't know it. Make disciples of Jesus, all of all nations. What's the last thing he says? Something he's reminding them of. He says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Where will Jesus be? He's about to ascend to heaven to sit victoriously at the right hand of the Father, but he'll be with us always, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the, the, promise, of the, the promise of the presence of the one who has been given all authority in heaven on earth. I want that presence. Do you? I want the presence of the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And Jesus says, that's what I'm promising you. And the last text that helps us is really Acts chapter 1, where we see those two passages come together. In the first five verses of Acts 1, Jesus tells his apostles to wait for the promise from the Father, that, that John 14 promise, wait for the Spirit to come. And then in verses 6 to 11, we get Jesus' ascension, um, and he tells them in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my, and you will be my witnesses in in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So that's John 14 and Matthew 28 smushed in one. Go make disciples, but only with the presence of Jesus, only with the power of the Holy Spirit. What does Jesus say in John 15? You guys know this one. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus knows that. His intention was never to, to, to have them go alone. His intention was always to go with them. And you see this 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 promise powerfully unfold over the first number of chapters of, uh, of the book of Acts, right? The Holy Spirit comes to them in chapter two. Peter then preaches with this power. Thousands believe and are baptized in the church. Amazing things are happening. Persecution comes, just like Jesus said, but that's okay because they don't need to be worried. He's with them. And then in chapter eight, the church in Jerusalem is scattered because of this persecution. And in chapter eight, we have Philip who we've encountered before a couple chapters earlier. He was one of those seven deacon prototypes. We're told he was full of the spirit and wisdom. 
And his, his, he, he is scattered. He's one of the ones that is scattered in the persecuted church. And, and he then goes forth no longer as a, as a disciple, but as an evangelist, a, a, as a preacher, as a missionary. And his goal from here on out is to do what Jesus said, to be a witness and to make disciples from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, which is exactly what you see happen through the, the rest of chapter 8. In verse 4 of chapter 8, and Philip goes to Samaria, and he proclaims Christ, we're told. Uh, the Jews hated, they, they despised the Samaritans. They, they considered them half-breeds. They, they had their own temple, which they thought was, was, was uh, a pagan temple. They, they, they did not have any regard for the Samaritans, but Philip goes there. Why? Because Jesus told him to go there, and he proclaimed to them Christ. You know what happens? Revival breaks out. They, they, they pay attention to this gospel message that was preached. They experience the power of the Spirit at work. And verse 8 says, so there was much joy in that city. That's the, the, the result always of people who encounter the risen Jesus. Joy. What's behind this explosion of growth in the church? What's behind all of this joy, all of these people coming to faith? There's only one good answer. It's due to the presence and the work of the risen Christ. Jesus is not dead. He's he's not just putting his feet up in heaven. He's he's more at work than he's ever been. He's powerfully working in and through his disciples. And you see him continually continue to be powerfully at work in verse 26, when, when Philip is directed to rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down to Jerusalem, to Gaza, this desert place. And Philip rose and he, and he went. Where's Jesus? He's, he's enthroned victoriously at the right hand of the Father, but he's not sitting back. He doesn't have his feet up. He's not nonchalantly waiting for his disciples to do their work. He is at work. He, he is directing Philip's path. He, he is telling Philip where he wants to go. Philip, rise. It's, it's time to go. Go to leave Samaria, Samaria, uh, head for that desert road that goes to Gaza. Why does he want Philip to go there? Well, you see it immediately. Why? He's sending him to intercept this African official. This is a sovereignly planned meeting. It would have been tempting for Philip not to obey these heavenly orders, right? Like, Lord, do you see what's happening here in Samaria? Do you see this revival? Surely I'm needed here. No, you're not. And he listens, and he's obedient. And verse 27, he rises, and he goes. And there, traveling on that road, was an Ethiopian, who we're told is not only a eunuch, as most courtiers were in that period, but an important official in charge of the treasures of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. Candace isn't her her name, it's her title, Um, similar to like queen mother. Um, This man is essentially the, the treasurer or the chancellor or the minister of finance for her fortunes. Incredibly important job. And he's on his way home from Jerusalem where he had come to worship. So, so apparently he's what the Bible calls a God-fearer. He, he's, he's from Ethiopia. He's, 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 he's not a Jew, but he's, he believes in the God of Israel. He was far from being and experiencing full membership in that community, though. This is a man who is spiritually bankrupt. He's, he's searching incredibly hard. Why else would he make this long, 
dangerous journey, hundreds and hundreds of miles, all the way from Ethiopia, all the way to Jerusalem, just to worship at the temple of Yahweh. He's searching. There's an extra detail that we'd pick up on if you're familiar with the Old Testament Mosaic Law. You're all experts in that, right? And if you're not, in Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, there's this, this command that excludes anyone whose male organs have been cut off from entering into the assembly of the Lord. Um, don't have time to explain that this morning, but imagine the disappointment that this man would have felt after traveling so long to reach the temple for worship, only to be denied access because he's a eunuch. He's now on his return journey back to Ethiopia, but we're told he's sitting on his chariot and he's reading something. He, he has a scroll of Isaiah. And it's kind of rare to have your own Old Testament scroll, but he does. Maybe he picked it up at the temple bookshop or something. We don't know. Um, but he's reading it as he goes along. And back then people read out loud. And he's reading the prophet Isaiah, verse 29, as he's reading this, Verse 29 says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. Where's Jesus? He's in Philip. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he says, Don't you realize this about yourselves, Christians, that, the Christ, that Jesus Christ is in you? Romans 8, 9, calls the, Paul calls the Spirit who dwells in you the Spirit of Christ. And here he is again, the Spirit speaking to Philip. And Philip is in tune with the voice of the Spirit, and he, he knows his voice, and he listens, and he obeys. It's kind of a funny scene. Um, go run alongside this chariot, and he hears the Ethiopian reading, and he simply but very brilliantly asks him this question. Do you understand what you're reading? Like, could the Lord... Uh, sovereignly plan this meeting out any easier. <laughs> Here's the place I want you to go. Here's the guy. I'm going to give him some scriptures to read. Let's, let's have him read out loud as well. Could it get any easier? Like, listen to me. I, I know all of us Christians in the room, evangelism can be a little bit nervy. You can be a little bit nervous to do that. Um, but if, this, if the Lord puts you in a situation like this one, here's someone just reading the scriptures, surely the smallest step of obedience we could take is this. It's a good one. Do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian replies to Philip's question with a question, and it's maybe the most softball question answer. He, he practically invites Philip to share the gospel with him. He says, well, how can I unless someone guides me? What a divinely arranged conversation. There's no better explanation for this scene except that the Lord is divinely arranging it, Right? Jesus, he continues to guide his people by his word and the Holy Spirit. Christians, this is what God is capable of. What would happen if instead of stressing constantly about finding ways to share the gospel, if we, we prayed persistently and boldly for him to divinely arrange these kinds of meetings? I'm not saying that, that sharing the gospel with a friend or especially a family member can't sometimes take years Sometimes it takes effort and creativity and persistence, but are you at least praying for divine opportunities like this? 
And are you open and sensitive to the Spirit's promptings? When he speaks, we must act. But Jesus is at work here. And you see what happens when Philip obeys the Spirit's promptings. We're told what specific passage he's reading, and it's Isaiah chapter 53. And usually when a segment is quoted uh, like it is here, it's implying the larger segment. He has the scroll that he's reading. And if you are at our Good Friday service, you'll be familiar with Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that led to the slaughter and then the rest goes on. And the Ethiopian, he asks a very good question. Who's this text talking about? Is it Isaiah saying these things, that this will happen to him, or is it someone else? Again, talk about a softball question. And, and then in verse 35, Philip does what he did back in verse 5 in Samaria. He opens his mouth. And beginning with the scriptures, he told them the good news of Jesus. The, the, the King James Version simply puts it like this. He opened his mouth and beginning with the scriptures, he preached Jesus to him. You might be thinking, I'm stretching my question a little bit here, but where's Jesus? He's coming out of Philip's mouth. Philip opens his mouth and he, he preaches Jesus to this man. He, he shares the gospel with him. Romans 1.16, Paul says the, the, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. The, the gospel that we, that we share is the power of God for salvation to the Jew, to the Greek, to the Ethiopian. He preaches Jesus to him. He tells him the good news about Jesus. And he, he's, he says, I'll tell you exactly who that passage is about. Here's what it means. Here's what it means when he says, he was pierced for your transgressions. Here's how he was crushed for your iniquities. Here's how he was this lamb who was led to the slaughter on your behalf. And he starts with that scripture and he unfolds the entire gospel message for that man. I'm, I'm certain he would have explained what's said just a few chapters later in Isaiah 56, that the good news for eunuchs, that passage that says, it's on the screen, for thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will, give, uh, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. There's inclusion for this outsider. He, even he can be welcomed in. And when it says that he told him the good news about Jesus, he didn't just explain him the, the crucifixion of Jesus how Christ had died for his sins, he also told him that, that man who died for your sins, guess what? He's alive. He, he, he's, he's alive. What good news. And, and he, he, he's present. He, he's, he's here and he can be yours if you simply believe. If you turn from your sins and repent and come to Jesus. What, what hope this good news was for the Ethiopian eunuch. Through Jesus, 
This man could be welcomed into the family of God fully. No longer was he barred from the temple, that that old dwelling place of God. By, By grace, through faith in Jesus, he himself could become the temple where God's spirit would abide. Isn't that amazing? Verse 36 says, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is some water. What prevents me from being baptized? And here's another good reason to bring an actual Bible, um, is because at the foot of the footnote of your Bible, there's a, there's a little footnote that says, some manuscripts add verse 37 in. And that verse, Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, the, the, the Ethiopian man replied, and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The reason that's not included in the main text is it's not found in most of the original manuscripts, so we, it's only found in later manuscripts, um, so we, we don't treat it as inspired scripture, but it does give us a pretty good sense of what the early church of Jesus was concerned with when it came to baptism. It, it's almost like this was a baptism liturgy, and they would ask, do you believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Son of God? And this man did. And so in verse 38, they stopped the chariot, and they both went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. He was symbolically buried in the likeness of Christ, and then symbolically raised to walk in newness of life, that Jesus' J-curve was now his life. What a wonderful scene. Here's what the risen Jesus does. He resurrects spiritually dead people. Just like this eunuch, he brings him to life. Verse 39 tells us that when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. And it's hard to tell if this is like some kind of miraculous supersonic departure. And it's not the main point that you should be marveling at, that the part of that sentence that should take your breath away is the last part, the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Just like in verse 8 in the Samaritan revival, this man is now rejoicing. Re- rejoicing because his sins have been forgiven. Rejoicing because he has the hope of eternity with Jesus. Rejoicing because he's no longer an outsider, but a child of God. Rejoicing because no longer does he have to travel hundreds of dangerous miles to worship in the presence of God. He now carries his presence everywhere with him. Where's Jesus? He's on his way to Ethiopia. (laughs) This man goes on his way rejoicing and he's accompanied with Christ. Friends, this is one of the millions of stories that show us that Jesus is still alive. He died for your sins, but he didn't stay dead. He defeated Satan, sin, and death itself. He is risen. He has been given all authority in heaven and earth. He is sitting and ruling on his throne in heaven. He is directing our paths. He has sent his spirit to dwell in his people, helping us, comforting us, teaching us, prompting us, guiding us. He's, he's guiding us not just in our everyday lives with him. He's guiding us directly to people that he wants to share his gospel with, people he wants to save. 
to the Phillips in the room? Are we missing out on seeing these divinely appointed encounters? Philip didn't miss out on it because he was listening to the Spirit. He, he knew his voice. His life had been completely transformed by Jesus, and he made it his main goal in life to go where Jesus wanted him to go and to do what Jesus wanted him to do. Are you responding in obedience to Jesus? Are you distracted? Are you listening to his voice? Are you walking in faith? Friends, Jesus is alive and he is at work within you. Maybe you need to grow in your love for Jesus. Maybe you need to spend some more time in God's words so that you can know his word and share his word. Maybe you need to be more uh, praying more persistently and desperately and boldly for these divinely appointed opportunities. But listen, the, the last thing I want you to hear, the last thing I want you to leave today feeling is I need to do more. I need to do better. I'm not doing enough. Listen, the message of the cross of Jesus and his empty tomb is it is finished. He has done it all. He has won. He simply wants you to be with him and to listen to his voice and obey, and he does the rest. To the Ethiopian eunuchs in the room, to those who are searching for meaning in life, to those who feel like outsiders, rejected and cut off, Jesus is pursuing you. He died in your place to pay for your sins for one reason only. It's because he loves you deeply. Sinner, repent and believe the gospel. Today can be the day of salvation for you. The, the eunuch heard the good news of Jesus. He accepted that message was for him, and he went away rejoicing. You too can go away rejoicing. You can go away today accompanied with Christ. Just stand with me and we'll pray. Jesus, we need you. Every day, every hour, we need you. But every day, every hour, we have you. We have you. Jesus, we thank you for dying in our place, but rising in our place, rising for us, so that we could know you in your resurrection, so your justification, your righteousness could be ours we thank you for your presence with us now. You are so good. Lord, for those who are searching, those who are seeking um, this, may they learn from this Ethiopian man who had a soft heart. He was open. 
He could have responded in a different way. Hey, do you know what you're reading? Sure. No, he said, how can I unless someone shows me? Lord, give that soft, open, searching heart to everyone who's, uh, who doesn't know you, Lord. May today be the day of salvation for many. Would you do this for us, Lord? In your name we pray. Amen.